I turned it on. I promise I turned it on. Just in testing. You got it now? There it is. Let's try again. Let's come up here. Good morning. Good to see you all. Now you can hear me too. Hey, we're going to be in Luke 15. If you turn there in your Bibles with me, I'd appreciate that. Luke chapter 15. Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's such a joy to be a dad and um, such a pain sometimes to be a dad, you know, but it is such a joy. And I, I was talking to someone earlier, I, I can't imagine even in selfishness not wanting to have children at this point in my life. Like, I just love the joy that God has filled me with because of my children. And uh, I know, they're, I know they're, they're young and there will be lots of trouble ahead, but I, I'm excited to uh, learn from the best example I can. First, the example of the fathers around me in our church, and then ultimately our Heavenly Father, who is, is a good, good father. Um, you know, as we do talk about Happy Father's Day, I, it's hard. I, you know, I'm like, do I write a sermon and you know, pay tribute to, to the dads? Way to go, dads. And uh, you know, one of the things I felt lacking there was not everyone has the best dad. Um, but more than that, as I thought about it myself, not all of us are the best dads. Uh, I don't know about you, dads, but I feel totally inadequate to be super dad. I, I can't be the best dad uh, that, that they expect. I can't be, the, 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 I can't be their savior. And as I, as I think about that, I, I take comfort in knowing that because I know and we know who the savior is. And, and the more inadequate I am, the more I can humbly point them, my children, to a heavenly father that will never, ever, ever disappoint. So I rest in my heavenly father. So my, my children will not try and find in me something that I am not. But they will find and see instead a savior, a father who really does provide. Now, guys, that doesn't, doesn't mean we're off the hook. Our job is to humbly point to the savior every day in every way all the while trying to be more and more like him and conform more and more into the image of the son. So today as we, as we look at the father, uh, it, today's a tribute uh, to our heavenly father uh, on this Father's Day. And it's an encouragement to fathers to look to that example. And for all of us as sons and daughters of the father, that those of us who are, we would point to him in everything that we do and every relationship that we have. And we would pour out. And I, I think about that often, too, on Father's Day. Uh, some, of, some of us here, it's hard. It's like, you, you say Happy Father's Day to everybody? Because not everyone is a father. But I think there is a mandate to all of us, men and women alike, young and old alike, that we would all point everyone that we are in relationship with to our Heavenly Father. And in that, we are, we are fulfilling what every good father should be fulfilling as well, that we should be pointing people to Jesus. So let's go ahead and pray, and we'll get started in Luke 15. Father, we are so grateful to be here today. We're so grateful to worship the true living Father, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, our ultimate compassionate provider, the Savior who has redeemed us. God, we, we are so inadequate. We fail in so many, so many ways. God, it's our prayer and our, our plea to you that you would be satisfying for us and that, God, you would be the one that's found satisfying to our children and to those we are in relationship with. That even though we are inadequate, you are so adequate. We thank you for that. As we look to your word today, we ask that you would 
impart wisdom to us, that you would guide our hearts. God, that you would, you would put a burden on our hearts to trust and obey you, to rest in you as sons and daughters. God, if we're dealing with things today as, as your spirit is allowed here, God, as, as we, we ask that you would convict us of sin, that you would challenge us, you would change us, that you would renew us for your sake. Conform us today more and more into the image of the Son. And it's in his great name we pray. Amen. All right, we are in Luke 15, uh, beginning at chapter, uh, or chapter 15, verse 11. And I want to just look at the Father today and look at some attributes of the Father, things we can glean about the Father. And, and as I was studying, I was thinking, what, what do I use? What passage of Scripture do I use? And I, I don't, this was a no-brainer to me, and I didn't get there quick, right? Because I don't get to no-brainers very quick. I try to take the hard route, and I'm like, well, looking up the word Father in the, in the Bible, where does, where does it say it? And I just, this is, by the way, one of my favorite, favorite passages of all of Scripture, it shows the depth of love the Father has. It shows the depth of sin that you and I have. And it shows a turnaround in a heart that can come to the Father who graciously receives his sons and daughters. Uh, it is, by even secular standards, some say it's one of the best short stories ever written. It is a powerful, powerful image of our powerful and loving God. It is the, it is the story of the prodigal son, some would, some would say, um, the wayward son, the lost son. But if we look at the first part, uh, the first verse of the story, verse 11, what does it say? It says, he, he also said, a man had two sons. This is a story, not of a prodigal son, but a man, a father, who had two sons. So as we look at this story today, I, I, I hope that your eyes would see the father in a new or re, a renewed, a fresh way today, okay? So number one, we see in the first part of the story, the father has rebellious children. The father has rebellious children. Oh, no. Let's look at verses 11 through 16. He also said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all that he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. After he had spent everything, a severe famine struck the country, and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the carob pods the pigs were eating, but no one, no one would give him any. Listen, the father has rebellious children. As, as good as we try to be as fathers, as dads, children's heart are set to do their own thing, right? We all desire to do our own thing or go our own way. You see, God, God created us to be with him in relationship to him as sons and daughters that we would, we would benefit from the father, that we would be with him forever. And we have chosen, we have all chosen to do it our own way, haven't we? We've all chosen to, to go astray, to desire something that we shouldn't have, to seek after a, something to fill our lives that will never, ever fill. The scripture says, he, he asked his father, he said, Father, give me my share of the estate. And that, that's a blatant, in your face, Dad, I wish you were dead. Why aren't you dead so I can have everything coming to me? I don't want you in my life anymore. I want to go my own direction. So without dying, the father sells off the portion of land that would be his, his inheritance, and he gives the inheritance to his son. By the way, uh, and I've, I've preached on this before, this is a story of shame that the father takes on himself. A good 
a good father in that heritage and culture would never have done that. He would, the boy would have said, Father, give me my share of the estate. And the father, a good father, would have smacked his boy upside the head and said, you're out. But this father shamefully lets his, lets his rebellious son rebel and go his own way. Because the father knows that a heart must make that choice. That a heart must be driven to where it needs to go in order for it to come back to the father. The father knows that he cannot mandate sonship. Sonship is offered and sonship must be received. But the father has rebellious children. And it says, the scripture says he attached himself, right, or he, he found another person, a, a citizen of that country to work with, but he attached himself to something different. And see, we do that. When we break our attachment with God, the father, when we break our attachment with God, we end up attached to another, something different. And that attachment will be slavery, slavery, not sonship. Now, today, as I use the word sonship, it means sons and daughters, that we'd be heirs, all of us, in Christ Jesus. All right, fair enough? Sonship, not slavery. And attaching to another is slavery, not sonship. It might be drugs, it might be alcohol, it might be pleasure or an employer or a, a job opportunity. It might be a spouse you attach yourself to instead of God or a sport or a hobby or a television show or a book or lake cabin, or technology. The attachment might be crude, or it might be refined. and something you consider beautiful. But when we break loose from God, we are attached to something that is not him. And in the end, this alien attachment, this attachment that is not supposed to be ours, will send us to eat with the swine, whether in this life or in the one to come. Some of us will never, ever, some people will never, ever experience the consequences of their sin until eternity, where it really matters. Most of us will go our own way, attached to something other than God, and be miserable and crawl on our hands and knees back to him. And that is the misery that Jesus is describing when we run from the Father's house as rebellious children. The Father has rebellious children. And I want us to understand this, that the Father's desires for us to be with him, but he is not going to make us robots. He's not going to make us have to do that. The Father is going to let us do what our heart intends to do. And we see in Scripture that there's no one that's good, not one, and that the heart is inclined towards evil all the time. It's desperately wicked that we will incline ourselves to be detached from God and attached to another. We all find ourselves there. So to say that the Father has rebellious children is to see that there's a Father that is giving freedom for the heart to do what the heart must do in order for the heart to really see who the Father is. And that's what leads us to number two. The Father's compassion is clear. You see, when we attach ourselves to another and we find ourselves in the deep misery of that attachment, the Father's compassion is clear. Let's look at verses 17 through the first part of 20. When he came to his senses, that's the son, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have more than enough food, and here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up, go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in your sight I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired hands. So he got up, and he went to his father. Here is the realization of the slavery that he's in versus the sonship he could enjoy. He came to his senses. 
You see, being attached to another is the burden that we carry. And we've talked about that in the previous weeks, the invitation from Jesus to come and find rest for our soul, that our burden is heavy, right? And the misery we have is, is weary. But he invites us to come and, and place that on him. And then he gives us a burden and a yoke that is easy and light. This is, again, speaking of that burden and yoke that is easy and light that Jesus offers to us. It's for us to come and find rest and trust and obey. As we, as we do that, as we trust and obey, we begin to overflow with joy and thankfulness. And that joy and that burden that he gives us of obedience is not a burden at all. You think about the son. He thinks to himself, he says, what am I doing? I am, I am eating with the pigs. And my, my, he says, my father's hired men, the slaves that work for my father, have more than I have. I, I don't even want to be a son necessarily. I just want to be there. Because I, I know that this, this father is compassionate. I know he's compassionate. I see it as he lives it out. It is clear. But it must be said, this, that although the, the father's compassion is clear, it can and is ignored at times. People do ignore God's compassion. In fact, some will spend a lifetime trying to run and hide and attach themselves to another so they don't have to deal with the compassion of the Father. And we see it time and time again. We attach ourselves to another, and that leads to some sort of misery. And then that misery doesn't fill us up, so we move on and attach ourselves to still another and try to fill ourselves up. And, and that can be a lifetime cycle of running and hiding. And we're running both from God, the Father, who is compassionate, and we're running and we're hiding from him, and we're running from the attachment, the thing we attached ourselves to, because it never filled us up. So we got to run to the next attachment so we can be filled up. All the while, God's compassion is clear. It's right in view. And we spend this lifetime sometimes running and hiding. We'll do whatever it takes. People will do whatever it takes to get their minds and their thoughts on anything but Jesus. And that is not only unwise, it is futile. It will end in misery, whether in this life or the next. It is futile. Believing, listen, believing that God is not necessary or that God is not even real does not make it so. God, the Father, is ready and willing to, to just lavish his compassion on you and on me. If we would examine ourselves or come to our senses, then we could see our desperate need and his outstretched arms. But there's times too where, where, he, where he was in the middle of his misery. He understood that he was eating alongside of pigs and he understood the compassion. It was clear. It, it was in view. He had in view the mercy of the Father as he was in the middle of his misery, and he came to his senses. And listen, you can't know yourself or relate yourself to yourself properly if you don't know where you came from. If you don't come to, some, some translations say, he came to himself. And if you're running from the one who made you, you can't do that. You've got to stop running from the one who created you. So you can come to your senses. And there must occur in us a humble brokenness, right? An empty meekness. That's this repentance we talk about. And, and in it, it is a deep sense of unworthiness. See, the son understood. What he didn't say is, I'm going to go back to my father and say, Father, I'm so sorry. Accept me back fully. See, the son felt totally unworthy. 
And even in view of the Father's compassion, he still felt unworthy. And you and I ought to be there too. Where we are so unworthy because of the sin in our lives, the darkness of our heart, because you and I have pursued and attached ourselves to another. And see, when he came to his senses, he says, I just want a little bit. I just want a little bit. My, the, the workers, the servants of my father get more than I could ever imagine. I don't, I don't need to be in his living room. I don't need to have a special room in the house. I'll, be, I'll, I'll live out on the property in a little hut if it makes any difference. I just want a little bit of the compassion I know my father has there. So we, then we cast ourselves before a loving father, a merciful father, knowing that even the crumbs that fall from the table he eats at are more satisfying than anything the world could ever offer. You see, that's a, that's a heart of repentance. That's a heart of humility, a heart of change, responding to the compassion of the Father. Father, if I could just get a morsel from your table, it'll be more satisfying than anything I could ever experience outside of it. And that's responding to the compassion of the Father. And the Father is compassionate. The Father is rich with compassion. And that leads us to point number three. The next part of our story, we see the father receives sinners and he takes the shame. He receives sinners and he takes the shame. It's a different picture. Now, we might think about this story as the son comes home just begging and saying, just, I want a morsel from your table. Put me in a hut outside. I just, I, that's all I want. And there's a lot more in depth to the story, but the, the son says one thing. And he says, I, I, I'm going to go to my father and say, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. But he doesn't say that when he gets back because in view he has seen the way the father receives sinners and takes the, the shame. And he changes his whole, whole, his whole attitude. He says, I'm, I've sinned in your sight and in, in God's sight and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. That's, and he stops there. He doesn't say make me like one of your hired men because he knows the extent the father will go to to take us from slavery to sonship. Not just on the back 40 in the, in the little hut in a shanty. Not like a dog underneath the table getting the morsels, although those would be more satisfying than anything you and I could ever, ever imagine in the world. The Father does something amazing. The Father receives sinners and takes the shame. And I want us to mention that this is actually the entire point of the parable. If you go, go to verse 1, look at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 15. I want us to, to see this and why it's the point of it. See, Jesus is loving people and teaching people and inter interacting with people. He's inviting them to come and find rest in him. And the Pharisees are watching this. These people who are, are learned, right? They know what's right and wrong. They know what truth should be. And, and, and Jesus is anti-establishment. He's anti the way that things should be. And it's kind of rubbing them the wrong way. And look at verses 1 and 2. It says, all the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him. That's Jesus. And the Pharisees and scribes were complaining. And this is what they said. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. The next line says, so he told them this parable. Yes, this man welcomes sinners and eats with him because the father receives sinners. This is the, the point of the parable. This is the point of what Jesus has come to do. The son of man did not come to, to be served, but what? To serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. His, his job is to what? To seek and to save the lost. That's why he came. So as you and I understand and clearly see the compassion of the Father, as we run to the Father, praise God, the Father, that he receives us and takes the shame. Let's carry on in verses 20 through 23. 
The son got up and he went to his father. But while the son was a long way off. See, again, this is not a deal that the son will sneak into town, sit on the doorstep of his father, knock every day until his father finally comes out. Right? That's culturally what should be happening. And the father should have disowned him because of his attitude and actions before. In fact, if he was knocking on the door and the, and the door opens, what the, the father should do in this culture, again, is slap him upside the head. What are you doing back here? How dare you show your face? You're shameful. But, but what does God do? So what does the father do in this story? How does, it, how does it relate to God the father? Well, he receives sinners and takes the shame. It says in verse 20, while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was what? Filled with compassion. See, there's that compassion of the father that's in view. And we don't even know it, but it's so much so that he's waiting at the window watching for his son. The father has all of his affairs in order. He doesn't need to tend to anything else except for the son that's out there and lost. He so desires to come and, and, and have full sonship. The father is shamefully watching from the window. Why? Because it doesn't matter if he, he takes the shame. He has to take the shame for you and I to be embraced. And what does he do? He says, while, while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion. He ran, threw his arms around his neck, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in your sight I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So I'm not worthy to be called your son. I'm not worthy of sonship. But I just want a morsel, because I know it's more satisfying. You don't have to call me son, but let me, let me just partake of your table. Verse 22, but the father told his slaves, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring, uh, bring the fatted calf and slaughter it and let's celebrate with a feast because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. The father takes the shame. The father is watching out the window, which he shouldn't have been doing. He should have been at his little bridge club or something else that, that, that was status-oriented, right? Like, look, look at me. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a good, rich man of this community. I'm a prosperous man. I'm not going to be watching out the window for my wayward son. I've got one out in the back, back field that's working really hard. I don't need another one. But instead, he shamefully watched out the window. And when he saw his son, and while he was a long way off, the father, and you don't, you don't run in that culture. If you're a man, a dignified man, you don't run in that culture. Because in order to run, you've got to kind of pull up the tunic, right? You've got to pull this thing up, and you're going to show your ankles. You don't do that, right? And, and you're going to get totally filthy and dirty. It's just shameful. This father, you think of this father of status, this man of status, running through town, running down the road, running to the sun, because he's waited so long to receive him. That is what he does. He receives sinners and takes the shame. So he shamefully runs. And then instead of getting to him, and, and at that point the, the Pharisees are listening to the story. And they're waiting. They're, they're eagerly waiting to see what this, how this, this father reacts to the son. And what should he do? He should get out to his son and beat him. And send him on his way. They're thinking maybe, he'll, maybe the father will do something right when he gets out to the edge of town. Oh no, what does he do? He wraps his arms around him and he hugs him and he kisses him and he embraces him and says, welcome home. 
And he tells, he tells his servants, he says, go, get, get the best robe, get the ring, get the sandals. This is no longer a slave or a wayward child. This is my son. And he has full sonship, full rights to everything about my estate. Yes, he's the same one that squandered it. He's the same one that wished I was dead. He's the same one that went away and attached himself to another. He's the same one that was eating out of pig troughs. But he's come back to us with a heart of repentance and meekness. And he's asking that he, he be filled with just a morsel that the father has to offer. And the father doesn't just morsel him. He embraces him fully. He embraces him fully and gives him sonship. Scripture says it was for the joy set before Jesus that he endured the cross. And it was, it's a joy set before the father to embrace sinners. Here's the lavish welcome of the father. The best robe, the robe of sonship, not slavery. The robe of full, enthusiastic, unrestrained, joy-filled restoration to the family. That's what the Father is offering. That's the way it is when you come home to the Father. He lavishes his grace upon you. He shames himself so you and I can be sons and daughters of the Most High. That through the Father... We can have a righteousness that's not of our, ourselves. There was nothing in that son in and of himself that was good or worthy. But the father takes his perfect, unblemished robe of sonship and authority and wraps his son, and his son around in it and says, you are now a full son. It's not based on what you did. It's based on what he has done, the shame that he took. It's based on what Jesus has accomplished for us. Jesus is telling this parable, responding to the reason that he eats with sinners and receives them. Because that's what the Father does. He eagerly, eagerly awaits to receive sinners who will believe in his redemption that he offers. He eagerly awaits. And that's that image of the Father peering, peering out of the window. Number four. The Father celebrates when the lost are found. The father celebrates when the lost are found. Let's look at verses 25 through 32. It says, Now his older son was in the field, and he came near to the house, and he, he had heard music and dancing. So he summoned one of the servants and asked what, what these things meant. Well, your brother is here, he told him, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because of him, uh, because he has him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and didn't want to go in. So his father came out and what? Smacked him over the head? No. Because the, the son was angry, right? Angry at the father. The father can do what the father wants. So his father came out and pleaded with him. Willingness there more to take the shame. But he replied to his father, Look, I have been slaving many years for you, and I have never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, not a brother, there's a difference now, there's not a relationship there. This son is far from his brother. The brother is now a full son of the father. When this son of yours, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, when he comes home, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Son, he said to him, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. 
But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. There is a celebration that the Father throws when the lost are found. See, here's what Jesus is saying. He's responding to this question from the Pharisees. Why is he eating with sinners and welcoming them? He's saying, I welcome sinners because I am God in the flesh pursuing the lost. I am a shepherd seeking the sheep. I am like the woman seeking the coin. And this meal where we're eating together, where we sit and break bread, is a little bit of what is happening in heaven right now. It's a foretaste of the joy that is coming because of Christ. There is joy there for the joy set before him. So when sinners turn from their sin, when you and I turn from what we attached ourselves to and accept his fellowship in the, as the joy of our lives, we accept his fellowship as the joy of our lives, even a little morsel that we can get our hands on, that's when we have come home to God. And God is glad when we have come home to him. And listen, for the other brother in the story that shows up, only pride can keep us from celebrating with the Father. Only still being attached to ourselves and not coming to ourselves or coming to our senses will keep us from being, being at the head or being at the table with the Father. Being a slave instead of a son is what keeps us from being at the table. The other brother thought he had it all together, but he had attached himself to a form of works righteousness. I will obey, I will do my best, I will work hard, I will earn everything that I have coming. And he, he attached himself to that instead of attaching himself to the Father. And the Father came out and he pleaded with him, didn't he? He invited him. I want you to be there too. You should be celebrating too. Come and celebrate. Let's celebrate together. Maybe I'll have two sons today. But he was angry and he stormed off. No, that's not, that's not how this is going to go. He rejected the love of the father. The father invites the other brother to stop being a slave and to come to the father's table because the father is good. Amen? Now that, that ends this, this parable. We rejoice in the fact that a son was lost and is found. We rejoice in the fact that the dead have come to life. But for you and I, as we, as we sit here inadequate to teach and raise our children in the perfect, most best way we can, we still rely on him. And I want us to be charged with a final thing that we ought to be in, in charge of. When we come to the Father and, we, and he receives us as sons and daughters, when he gives us sonship and daughtership, when we are heirs with Christ, number five is that the wonders of the Father are to be passed on. I said it earlier, I, I know I'm inadequate, and I just want my inadequacy to be a form of humility that continues to point my son and my daughter, my wife, my family, my friends, everyone, to Jesus Christ who is adequate. So I want us to turn real quick to Psalm chapter 48. We'll end there today as we talk about these wonders of the Father, the wonders and compassion of the Father that we've seen. We in Psalm chapter 48. For all of you dads who are feeling inadequate or have felt inadequate, even for your moms, for any of us who are feeling inadequate to honor the Father rightly, this is, this is for us today. Psalm 48, verses 1 through 8. It says, The Lord is great and highly and is highly praised in the city of our God, his holy mountain, rising splendidly in the joy of the whole earth. Mount Zion on the slopes of the north. 
God is, oh, sorry. I think I might be in the wrong one now. Bummer. Okay, this is a, a, a test right now for you. Can you find it? Can you find the, the scripture it talks about from generation to generation? I had it. I really want to read it to you because it's really great. Am I in the wrong one? Let's see, Psalm. It's a 40. It's a 40-something. Maybe that's it. Yeah, that, that is not it, but that will work. It's very similar. <laughs> that will work. Thanks, Jeff. You know, uh, that's interesting. That's the first time that's happened to me. But God knows, and that's okay. And one of the things we talk about is, is as we see the Father in this story, as we see him lifted up, as we see him exalted and, and shaming himself so that he's even more exalted, it's our job to, to show from descendant to descendant to generation to generation the mercies of God, that we would point people we would point people to Jesus and a merciful Father and never intend to point people or our children to ourselves. That we would always point them to the mercies of God so that they could become sons as well. Let's look at that, verse 12, or verses uh, is it 12, 13, yep, 12, 13, 14. It says, go around Zion and circle it, count its, count its towers, note its ramparts, tour its citadels, that you can tell a future generation. So in view of what God is establishing, in view of God's, God's holy city, in view of God's, God's family, the family and house of God, we, we check it out, we know it, we see it, so that we can tell a future generation. This God, our God, forever and ever, he will lead us eternally. That he is the source of our hope. He is the source of our strength. That in him... We are held together. And that is what we pass on. We pass on the wonders of the Father to generations to come. And, and it's, it's always our responsibility. I know we put a heavy weight on our shoulders as fathers or as mothers. You think about that as the responsibility to raise children. But listen, you and I, God is placing you and I, all of us, all of us, whether we have children or not, in the lives of people. And those people need to be pointed to our Heavenly Father. And it's our job, our responsibility, as inadequate as we are, to share the wonders and hope that is in Christ Jesus who will lead us eternally. Amen? All right. Let's stand for prayer. Father, we thank you so much for this Father's Day. We thank you that we can, can make this a tribute to our Heavenly Father. The Father who took all the shame so that we could feast at his table. Not just sit and, and get a morsel, God, that is even more satisfying than anything the world offers. But that we would feast with our Father because we have come to him in meekness, in humility. We have believed in the redemption he offers. And he has granted to us full sonship, full daughtership, that we would be heirs with him. We thank you for the wonders of the Father, for the joy that set before him 
He endured the cross and scorned the shame. Didn't care about the shame. He took the shame for us. Help us to embrace the Father every day. And help us to point the people around us in our lives to the Father. God, you are so good. We praise you today in Jesus' name. Amen.